0: just important to know that it is safe to be back in the hospitals and back in the clinics and um, I'd encourage everybody to get back on those schedules for their screening and other types of testing.
1: This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg and today my guest is Dave Cohn. Dave is the Chief Medical Officer of the James And over the past several weeks, Dave has become one of the public faces and public voices of the James, a really great source of information and advice about the COVID-19 pandemic, the lockdown, physical distancing, and how all of this impacts everyone and especially can impact people with cancer. Today, Dave will fill us in on the slow and gradual easing of some of the restrictions we've all been living under the past several weeks what all of this means and how it impacts everyone, the precautions we should all be taking, and the extra importance of these precautions for patients with cancer as well as their caregivers and family members, and what patients need to know about their care here at the James and their visits here to the James. Welcome back to the podcast, Dave.
0: Thanks, Steve. It's great to be back with you.
1: So Dave, since we talked last, things are are changing, things are opening up a little bit, little by little, restaurants at at reduced capacity, uh, all kinds of different retail outlets. What do people sort of need to know and what should they be doing to stay safe?
0: You know, it's a pretty exciting time across the state of Ohio and across the country as we're thinking about what the new normal is going to look like as things do begin opening up. I think the most important thing to recognize, though, is that all of the principles that we've talked about in terms of how to maintain safety are still in place. And that means that the critical importance of washing one's hands with soap and water, or if that's not available, using hand sanitizer, and also maintaining a physical distance between people just to minimize the chance of, you know, COVID-19 passing from person to person And that also speaks to the importance of masking when one's out in public, as has been recommended by uh, the governor of the state of Ohio.
1: So I think it would be helpful for me and I think for other people to understand why we wear masks, why we wipe off surfaces and gloves. How exactly is it transmitted and what happens when you touch something that they may have it on it?
0: In this circumstance, we know that COVID-19 or the virus that's caused this disease uh, can be passed through secretions from the mouth. Um, and so when somebody coughs or when someone breathes very often, there can actually be particles, viral particles that end up on surfaces. They can end up on your own hands. Then you go and shake somebody else's hands and then they've got that on them and then they can transmit it to themselves. So when you think about the masking, it's just a way to decrease the probability of that virus passing from one person to another and you also want to make sure that surfaces are clean, because again, if viral particles end up on a surface, that if you pick that up with your hand, that you want to make sure that you're cleaning your hand so that it doesn't go on to you yourself.
1: So when it gets on your hand, it's, that's why you're not supposed to touch your face, because it, it, if it only stays on your hand, you won't get it, right? It's when it goes, if you touch your mouth, your nose, your eyes, it gets it, then what happens that you get it?
0: So that's the process by which the virus actually accesses your own personal body like you're pointing out, what are called the mucosal surfaces, the mouth, the nose, the eyes. These are areas that are uniquely susceptible to having virus kind of get into and then replicate and then someone begins having an infection. So if you just have it on your skin and you don't do anything with your hands, then the chance of the virus getting to the point where becoming an infection is small. So that's why you wanna make sure that you wash your hands uh, you want to make sure that you're using hand sanitizer if you don't have access to soap and water. It's just a way to make sure that that environment in which you're living is as clean as possible and that's the lowest chance that you're going to pick up a viral particle and then have that be transmitted to your body yourself.
1: And then that, so then what's important is in that time in between, if you go out between uh, touching things and washing your hands, don't touch yourself, don't touch your face. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's exactly right. It's it really is easier
1: is, said than done.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, it is amazing when you think about how often you touch your face. And by virtue of a lot of the you know the platforms that we've been using to have meetings now, video conferencing, you can watch people on the screen and see that they spend the majority of their time with their hands on their faces, next to their eyes, touching their mouths, or chewing on a pen. And it's all these things that we talk about that you're not supposed to be doing that we all do day in and day out. So it's just being conscious that that does increase the risk that you're going to pick up uh, some of the viral particles and then have them
1: enter into your body and causing an infection. So restaurants are opening up at reduced capacities. So if someone wants to go out to a restaurant, which, boy, we pretty much all do want to do because it's been a while. What should you look for? What would make an outing to a restaurant safe? And what are the things that should, if you see that you should say, I don't feel comfortable going in here?
0: So when you think about the general principles of hand washing, physical distancing, and masking, start with those. If you go into a restaurant and you find that there are tables that are right next to each other where somebody could be coughing and then transmitting virus between two tables, you'd want to avoid that. If the staff that are within the restaurant aren't wearing masks, or if the patrons are not wearing masks, I would probably try to avoid that for right now as well. And again, I'm really reassured when I identify that there are people that are, you know, for example, serving that are washing their hands or using hand sanitizer on a regular basis. It just gives me that security that they're recognizing those risks, minimizing the chance of transmission between, you know, Uh, A worker in a restaurant and somebody who is patronizing that restaurant or between individuals in restaurants as well. Just trying to think about what that environment looks and feels like to you, recognizing that the further apart people are, the more that individuals are wearing masks and the more frequently someone is washing their hands, the less chance of transmitting virus amongst individuals.
1: Isn't wearing masks going to be a bit of a problem in a restaurant for the (laughs) patrons? So it's very hard, as I found out this morning, walking into the hospital
0: to drink coffee while wearing a mask. Uh, I forgot I was wearing it and ended up um, literally trying to pour coffee through my mask. So I would imagine trying to get a fork through a mask is even more challenging. Um, But yeah, you're right, is that when someone walks into a restaurant wearing a mask, I think that's great. You're going to have to have a mask off while you're eating, clearly, um, but just the less time that you're without a mask
1: overall, the better. Okay, how about, um, since people are going a little stir-crazy, they're out walking, running, riding bikes, I've, I've heard mixed things about whether or not you should uh, um, wear a mask when you do those activities. Yeah, so I, I f-
0: certainly support the um, process of people being outside, enjoying the sun when it's out, getting some exercise You know, physical fitness and mental fitness, I think, are two really important components of getting through the, you know, unprecedented time in which we find ourselves. That being said, um, if someone is exercising outside, running or riding a bike, it may be hard to wear a mask. Um, And there have been conflicting stories. There have been reports that somebody who is cycling or running uh, has a plume of aerosolization, you know, the particles that go behind you many feet or next to you many feet. I think that the most important thing to recognize is that um, we're not sure whether or not those are particles which actually have live virus that could infect other people. And none of these studies were done kind of in real life. These are all called modeling studies where it was done in a laboratory in a theoretical model of individuals running or riding. And so it really is unclear whether or not it's a high risk, medium risk, or low risk situation to be running or riding without a mask. I suppose I would say that if you're out and about and you're close to other people, uh, the right thing to do is certainly to wear a mask to minimize the chance of transmission of virus uh, between individuals. But in the principle of keeping the appropriate distance, I think that risk definitely is decreased.
1: But Okay, but then perhaps not run or ride bikes in packs of people together.
0: Yeah, I, I still believe that it is really appropriate to ensure that that distance between people is maintained. Uh, that hasn't changed, uh, you know, with the governor DeWine opening up the state of Ohio and with the you know other states opening as well. That physical distancing is still critically important as a public health opportunity to decrease the chance of transmission of virus.
1: Okay, so everything we've talked about applies to everyone, 100 percent of the population. Then that smaller cohort, subgroup of people who are uh, currently undergoing cancer treatment who may have immune systems that aren't quite as strong as they would be. And then even within that group, smaller group of elderly uh, patients uh, at the James, they should do everything, of course, you just said, but what else extra on top of that do you advise them to do? So we know that patients that have cancer um, are at increased risk
0: for contracting COVID-19, and those that are with cancer have an increased complication rate if they were to get it, meaning that they've got a higher chance of being in the intensive care unit or even dying of COVID-19 if they also have cancer. You add to that chemotherapy treatment, as you mentioned, that knocks the immune system's function down, and that provides additional susceptibility to both infection and complications. So the way I think about this is everybody, um, cancer or not cancer, should be following those same general principles. But an individual cancer patient has to think about what their risk is of contracting COVID-19 or having complications if they were to get it. So if somebody were to have undergone a bone marrow transplantation where the intention is to actually entirely destroy somebody's immune system, that patient is at the very highest risk. Um, Likewise, there's other types of cancers that have also been demonstrated to have a higher risk for complications from COVID-19. In that population, that individual patient might want to reach out to their healthcare provider just to kind of gauge whether or not they should be out and about or whether they should really be quarantining just to minimize the chance that any new exposure in their environment could lead to infection with COVID-19. So it's not an easy answer. Uh, I think it's a very individualized decision that a patient makes based on her or his individual risk of there being a complication of getting COVID-19 or having complications if they were to get it.
1: I perhaps think people should err on on the side of caution if they're in that circumstance and just be extra safe. You know, I don't think that anybody could ever be
0: faulted for being extra safe at this point in time. And I look at it and say that as things begin opening, you know, the beginning of May um, is when the state of Ohio began opening. So what that does is that when you have businesses that are now open and as restaurants um, are, are now open and outside seating and then soon to be um, service inside of restaurants as well, it's kind of mixing up the environment. So there's new individuals that people have never been exposed to that could have COVID-19. The risk is that we're going to have an increased number of COVID-19 cases over the next month as a result of opening up the state of Ohio. And so if somebody has cancer or is getting cancer treatment, I would say that today uh, that risk is probably a little bit higher than it was while everybody was still in their homes uh, sheltering. And so I agree with you. I think that The better part of valor might be just to hold off for a little bit more while, you know, an individual patient's risk is at the highest. I would probably be extra vigilant and safe um, and just try to find ways to still, you know, have have an enjoyable time, be out when you can for the mind, for the body, uh, but just try to minimize that chance of exposure to COVID-19 whenever you can.
1: Okay. That's great advice. And we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Dave will fill us in on what's going on at the James in terms of screenings and visits. And if patients are allowed in, if, if the patients are, do go in, can they have someone come with them and all the important things that James patients and their family members and caregivers need to know. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer. Yours. At The James, we go beyond the routine. To prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. We're back with Dave Cohn, the Chief Medical Officer of the James, and we're talking about the slow and gradual easing of the restrictions we've been living under the past several weeks, and now we're at the, a very important part for all the, the hundreds of James patients listening. So Dave, what is going on in the James? I know elective surgeries were discontinued for a while. Are they back? And also, what about screenings? So these are really important points, Steve. Um, one of the first things that Governor
0: DeWine did is he said, we want to make sure that we have enough personal protective equipment for our healthcare workers so that when the number of patients with COVID-19 increase, that we have the ability to care for them with the appropriate level of equipment. And so for that reason, we canceled our elective surgical procedures because those consume that protective equipment. Now that we're in a position where the number of COVID cases have been flat for some period of time, the, uh, the governor has opened up access to elective surgeries, and so now they're able to be performed. I think that at the cancer hospital at the James, there's not a lot of elective cancer surgeries, so that hasn't impacted us so dramatically, but what has been impacted was the restrictions on screening. So you can think about cancer screening, for example, for colorectal cancer, for breast cancer, for cervical cancer, and other cancers. Many of these tests were put on hold because they were also considered elective because there was no active concerns for cancer. Someone was looking to see, do they have an early cancer? So these tests are also now able to be scheduled. And I would encourage all the you know patients out there and all the individuals out there that have put off screening because it was recommended by their healthcare workers uh, or whether it was something that they decided to hold off on because they were concerned about being in the hospital setting it's just important to know that it is safe to be back in the hospitals and back in the clinics, and um, I'd encourage everybody to get back on those schedules for their screening and other types of testing.
1: Yeah, we've talked a couple times about how vital screenings are, because if you can detect cancer early, or in the case of a, a colonoscopy, detect a precancerous polyp, you save lives. That's exactly right, and I've made the comment before that the best type of
0: cancer is the one that you never get. And the way to do that is to pick up those precancerous conditions. Um, Or if someone is to have a cancer, the earlier that it's detected, the higher the chance of cure. And so that's why those screening tests are really important to get back on the books. And again, a delay of a couple months that we've imparted upon our patients because of, you know, requesting them to delay or canceling those tests uh, is not going to do any substantial risk to, you know, delaying a diagnosis. Uh, But I think that if people are continuing to be concerned about getting into the hospital and those two months turn into six or 12 months, that's when there could certainly be a problem where cancers could be detected at a later stage, and that's not a place where anybody wants to be.
1: Right. And, And just by the sheer number of cancer diagnoses there are, there were people diagnosed in February, March, April, and admitted to, treated at the James. How did that work then, and how has it changed a little bit now? yeah so while patients were being
0: you know diagnosed just at the time when covid was kind of starting in the United States and in the state of Ohio, we kind of had business as usual um, and I think that the fortunate thing is that we continued to treat our cancer patients the same way that we would have with chemotherapy, with radiation, and with required surgeries. None of those things were delayed. Um, there were certain circumstances where, for example, elective surgical procedures like plastic surgery for breast cancer reconstruction, those were put on hold, and there were patients who decided to delay their breast cancer surgical treatment so that they could get back on the schedule once they could also have a reconstruction at the same time. But for the vast majority of patients, cancer treatment in February continued, and cancer treatment now in May also continues at the exact same uh, type of care that we were providing before COVID-19.
1: No, I know you're modest and aren't going to talk about yourself and how you treat the patients, but the hundreds of people who who work at the James are frontline essential workers who were who've been on the job for the past several weeks and months in the midst of you know a, a less than ideal circumstances. Yeah, it's just incredible to
0: see the work that's being done by individuals in the hospital. You know, it is our environmental service workers, it is our technicians in the pharmacy, our radiology technicians, it's our physicians, it's our nurses, our nurse practitioners. It it is remarkable to think about how the teams have come together uh, to support each other and in the support of our patients as well. And this is really important because one of the other things that we've done is that we've restricted visitors into our hospitals and into our clinics. So in many ways, our healthcare workers and the entire teams are serving as kind of a surrogate family and support system for our patients when they can't have those support systems at their bedside if they're in the hospital.
1: Yeah, especially the people that are staying there overnight or the people that are in there for a chemo infusion for a couple hours. I'm, I'm sure they're bonding more and more with your staff. I think we've always been known
0: for our high-touch care that we provided at the James, but there's been no time like through COVID-19 when everyone has really come together and just kind of lived this experience that um, no one want, no one wanted to be here. Our patients didn't want to be without visitors. Our staff didn't want to be putting themselves at risk uh, of infection. But when you realize that everybody is in this together, and the only way to get through it is to support each other, um, it's really heartwarming to to get the feedback that we hear from our patients and from our staff about what it's like to actually care for patients during this time. Um, It really validates for everybody why they went into healthcare and why they're contributing in the ways that they have.
1: Now, now patients cannot have any visitors or can you bring someone with you under any circumstances? The general restrictive policy on
0: visitors for our hospital and in our clinics just aims to minimize the chance that anybody is gonna bring COVID-19 into our facility because the cancer population, as we talked about, is uniquely susceptible to infection with COVID or complications from COVID. And so on our website, we've got a list of the visitor policy and some of those restrictions. Um, but in general, we have a fairly restrictive policy because that's what's in the best interest of the public health of our healthcare workers, but most importantly of our cancer patients as well. There are some circumstances in which a patient could bring a visitor in, and I think for the cancer program, it's the new cancer diagnoses where having another pair of ears to listen to the treatment plan is really important. But we do have a restrictive visitor policy in the inpatient setting, in the hospital, as well as in the outpatient clinics, which is aimed just to minimize the chance of anybody bringing COVID-19 into these settings in which our patient population with cancer is uniquely susceptible to both infection with COVID nineteen as well as complications from that virus, if they were to get it.
1: Okay, that I, I think that really is important for newly diagnosed yeah. patients. We've talked to so many about how their head is spinning and it's hard for them to even hear. So that's a, if you're going to have to make an exception, I think that's a, a, a necessary one. And your your emphasis on safety throughout, yep. I think, is, is is a great and safe. Um, Way to do it. Good. So, Dave, once again, thanks for filling us in on what's going on and the precautions we can take. And as we continue down this road and learn more, hopefully you'll, I'm, well, I'm sure you'll continue to fill us in with all your great advice and facts and, and medical information.
0: Thanks, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here, I think, and a great opportunity to educate um, our patients and the public about the important things they can do
1: just to be safe during these unprecedented times. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Soloff Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.